Hi there everyone, it's really exciting to be sharing with you another message in this series on activating authentic community and I trust that you've been putting these principles into practice. Today we're going to talk about accepting others, accepting others. In Romans chapter 15 verse 7 it says, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. What does it really mean to accept another person? The word accept here in the Greek is the word proslalambo, all right? Proslambano, proslambano. So what does the word accept mean? Well, it's interesting because the word here accept in the Greek is the word proslambano, and it literally means to take in addition, to welcome, to take to myself, to lay a hold off with initiative, to aggressively receive something or someone uh, with strong personal interest. Think of someone who truly accepts you for who you are. You never feel stressed around them, do you? You never feel like you have to pretend when you're in their presence. There are no airs and graces when you're around them. You can be yourself when you're with them. What is it about this person that allows you to be like this? What is it about them? And are you that person for others? In other words, as I'm asking you about someone who accepts you for who you are, would someone have picked you as that particular person? What is it about that person that allows you to be like this? And are you that person for other people. This is important for us to think about, isn't it? As we think about this whole concept of accepting others. If this is true of you, are there more people you can extend this to? If you are like this to a few people, are there more people you can extend this to? You see, in order to build authentic community, we need to have a critical mass of these relational dyads that epitomize true acceptance. And in this message, I'll share with you some keys that will help you to be accepting of others, or at least more accepting of others. It's so important to note that acceptance of a person doesn't equate to condoning sin or condoning an ungodly lifestyle. You know that Jesus accepted and delighted in people, whilst at the same time, he would uh, literally simultaneously challenge them to a new lifestyle. So the essence of accepting someone is seeing them as Christ sees them. That's, that's a good measure, good barometer. Am I seeing you as Christ sees you? Because Jesus is our standard. So I want to take you through some steps in growing as someone who's accepting of others. The first thing to do is break down man-made barriers. Break down man-made barriers. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 through to 29, it says, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. What are some of the man-made barriers that we live by? Just think about your lines when it comes to who you socialize with, who you accept, who you reject. Is it based on the world system or is it based on the biblical narrative that we see here, that we are one in Christ? 
You see, we live in a society where people are rejected and accepted based on ethnicity, based on gender, based on age, based on what generation they're from, based on what discipline they studied. In activating authentic community, we choose to accept and celebrate our diversity. You see, so we're into kingdom communities. We see kingdom community in scripture breaking down all these walls. So my question to you is, is your social group based on the kingdom or just the same as the world's? In Acts chapter 13, we see the church at Antioch where Paul and Barnabas were sent out. And I find it interesting in the first two verses of chapter 13, it says, now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now look at those different people. They're from different backgrounds, right? They're from different ethnic groups. They're from different um, types of wealth. And yet they were together, that church, that great church in Antioch. And verse 2, it says, While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So they weren't distant from each other, these people who are from different uh, ethnic groups, etc. They were actually praying together. They were fasting together. They were worshiping the Lord together. They were hearing from God together, right? They were ministering together. See, we live in a day and age where people think, oh, just because we attend the same church, it means we are in unity and we are diverse. No, it's who do you have for tea afterwards? Who do you let into your life? Who do you make yourself vulnerable to? We want to be a diverse community. Are you good with people from a different discipline? So if you're an accountant, are you good with human resource people? Right? So important. One of the things we've got in a lot of nations today is we define ourselves too much by our profession and too little by our purpose. So we study engineering and we just think I'm an engineer, engineer, engineer. And we forget that, no, I'm a human being first. Right? In South Africa... A lot of the great entrepreneurs we have in this country are actually chartered accountants, right? But they didn't define themselves as that. They said, I'm a business person. I happen to have a background in accounting. I'm a business person. So sometimes we become too attached to our profession and we don't know how to relate to people beyond our discipline. Very important, right? So are you good with people from a different discipline? Are you good with people from a different ethnicity? Are you good with people from a different age group or generation? So if you're a millennial, are you good with baby boomers? If you're a baby boomer, are you good with generation X? Right? And again, when we look in scripture, just look at Titus chapter 2. And you'll see their multi-generational ministry. Right? Let the older women instruct the younger women. Right? Let them instruct them in this way and that way. Right? This is how you must treat the older men. This is how you must treat the younger men. So we are called to live in this type of diversity. And I believe that the Lord is calling us right now to break down those particular barriers. Great leaders today are those that have mastered the art of leading beyond the old boys club. If you want to enlarge your influence as a leader, learn to lead beyond the old boys club. In other words, learn to lead beyond people who are like you, people who look like you, people who speak the same language as you, people who are from the same tribe as you. Learn to lead beyond that. So important. So that's the first thing. We need to break down barriers intentionally. Intentionally. I've seen it happening where uh, we've been, we've pastored churches for years. 
And there are times when people won't necessarily invite my wife to their house because they're nervous and they're thinking like, oh, she's a white person. What will she want to eat? We might not do it properly. I'm like, come on, let's just break those barriers and let's just do what we need to do in this place of diversity. So we find that sometimes people exaggerate. They do. They glorify and they exaggerate difference. They magnify difference. That's what the spirit of division does. It magnifies difference. It looks at these people and says, oh, those are strange people. They talk so loudly. How will I be able to connect with them? Oh, they eat funny food, right? There's much more to a human being beyond what they eat. Just because they eat food that seems strange to you doesn't mean that you can't connect with them. This is so important. The second thing to do as we grow in accepting others is see the treasure in people. This is crucial. It's a phrase we use a lot, isn't it? Okay. When your teenager annoys you with their nonstop dancing in front of you, for example, right? When you feel like just relaxing, what do you do? You say you can either be irritated or you can thank God that you have a happy and active child in a time when there are many teen suicides today. Right? Are you seeing the treasure in your child? Hopefully the dancing is a sign of happiness, of course. Right? Each time you come into contact with someone, can you see the work of Christ in them? Perhaps the Holy Spirit is drawing them to the Lord. Maybe they're unsaved, but it's still the work of Christ. It's still the work of the Spirit. Okay? Are you aware of God's design work in them? Right? When we read Psalm 139, very often we apply it to ourselves, don't we? And we declare that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am really fearfully and wonderfully made. We tend to only apply that scripture to ourselves, right? Quite selfishly so. But sometimes we need to meditate on it concerning other people. What would happen if you meditate on that scripture with regards to the people around you that you need to accept? That they are fearfully and wonderfully made by the Lord, Right? Powerful. Meditate on God's purpose for creating them. What did God have in mind when he fearfully and wonderfully made that annoying person? I've learned a few things about people over the years. One of the things I've learned is that you get what you appreciate in people. You get what you appreciate in people. My wife becomes more of what I appreciate in her, right? People become what's celebrated in them. So let's celebrate that thing in them. Let's see the treasure and let's draw it out. All right. I've also learned that people become how they're seen by authority figures whom they respect and admire after five years. If you're working with a boss, right, and you respect and admire that particular leader, right, you tend to become how they see you after five years of working with that particular person. Because when they see the potential in you, they're continuously drawing it out. When you give them mediocre work, what do they say? They're like, this isn't you. I know this isn't your best. And so we live up to their expectations. It's amazing. You know, when my wife sees the treasure in me, I become that. When she says to me, go for it, my love. I'm sure you'll make a wise decision. You're very wise. Okay. I end up making a wise decision. And you know, um, someone once said, what you think about and what you thank about is what you eventually bring about. Isn't that so true? What you think about and what you thank about. That's the gratitude part. Right? Is what you eventually bring about. You know that Jesus saw the treasure in his disciples? He saw the potential in them. And that's why he ended up being able to say, you know what, these works that I'm doing, you will do greater. In Matthew 16, verses 16 through to 18, look how he speaks to Simon Peter. This is the same Peter who he said, get thee behind me, Satan. Right? Uh, 
Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus said, who do you say I am? He says, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, not Peter, but this rock, this revelation that I'm the Christ, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. That is powerful. Jesus saw that in Peter. Jesus looked past his disciples' carnality and he saw something else which he built upon. Think about it. James and John at one stage were known as the sons of thunder, probably due to their temperament. Now, they were often manifesting the carnal side of being the sons of thunder. But I mean, if you know that, maybe there was the spirit side of that. Maybe they were fiery in terms of their spiritual warfare, right? Um, you look at someone like Peter. Peter came across quite impulsive. Remember when he chopped off um, uh, the high priest's servant's ear, for example, Malchus's ear, right? He did that. He was quite impulsive. He was quite direct. He was quite outspoken. But wasn't that a great quality for the gospel later on? So sometimes we see the carnal side of a child's behavior. But if we look at the treasure, we end up accepting the person. We end up accepting it. You see, very often, if you want to know what your weaknesses are, they're actually strengths overused, aren't they? You might be a goal-orientated person, but the weakness that comes out of that when you overextend that strength is maybe you've got blinkers, right? Maybe you get fixated and obsessed by certain things, right? So the trick is, let me focus on the part that manifests the spirit, the fruit of the spirit, as opposed to the carnal aspect of my personality, right? You can have a strong-willed child who manifests the carnal side of that, right? But keep praying and celebrate the fruit of the Spirit on the other side of his stubbornness, right? Perhaps he'll be a warrior in the kingdom. Perhaps he'll be a voice for the voiceless. Perhaps he will stamp, stamp out uh, injustice, okay? So let's learn, let's learn to accept one another, to accept other people who are around us. Extremely powerful if we can do this. See the treasure in people. See the treasure in people and accept them. The third thing to do is see your actions towards these people as actions towards Jesus. In Matthew 25, 40 to 45, the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. That's motivating. If I know that, wait a minute, as I'm doing it for you, I'm doing it for Jesus, that's how closely Jesus identifies with you. That is extremely powerful. Many of us have a revelation of Christ in me. Christ in me. And we meditate on that. But what about Christ in others? What about Christ in others? Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Verse 42. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick, or in prison, and did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, 
you did not do for me. That's how closely Jesus identifies with the marginalized. And yet a lot of these people are people we don't accept. These are people we exclude. See, I'm not accepting you because of your behavior or your performance. That's not why I'm, why I'm accepting you. I'm accepting you because I see Jesus in you. In many cases, it may be a dim vision of Jesus, but he's still your creator. And if, if you are worth him dying for you, surely I can at least embrace you. Think about it. Do you see Jesus in people? Do you treat them as if that was Jesus? Imagine, that's the game changer. Imagine what would change if we just related to people that way. The fourth shift that we need to make in accepting others is understanding that God is the source of your strengths. We've all got strengths, haven't we? But many of us become arrogant about our strengths. You find certain things easy to do and you wonder why others can't do them. It's because you're graced by God in that area. You'll be more accepting of others when you realize that they struggle because they are wired differently. They were not graced in that particular area. Then we're not as puffed up concerning our strengths. Don't look down on people because they're not as gifted as you. It's a gift. Instead, just recognize and celebrate what they carry because they're wired in a way that you're not wired. Certain things come more easily to them. Maybe you're super successful and very goal-orientated, maybe a bit of a type A personality, but celebrate the empathy that that person carries. Celebrate the patience that that person carries. Don't always compare someone to your strengths because God gave you those strengths. You know, when we have a revelation that every gift we have is from the Lord, it changes how we relate to other people. We become more accepting of those that are not as gifted in that particular area. In James 1 verse 17, the Bible says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So what gifts has God given you? They're from Him. Acknowledge it in humility. Don't look down on other people. How do you relate to people who are not as gifted as you? There's something for us to really reflect upon. Do you look down upon them? Are you more confident when you're in their presence? Remember, expert power is relative, isn't it? Okay? You can think that you are clued up when it comes to computers because when you go to your rural home and you show your great uncle how to switch on a computer, you're the expert. But you know you have to keep quiet when you're with your um, IT friends. Okay? So expert power is very relative. And sometimes we think we're super, super talented, super gifted because we, are, we surround ourselves with average people. But in a different environment, <laughs> we just keep quiet. We sit down and watch and we listen. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, it says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. When we begin to function in the power of God, when we begin to function in the supernatural dimension of ministry, we have to remember that it is from the Lord, not from us, not from us. That's why the Bible says in Timothy, what did we bring into the world? Nothing. What will we take with us? Nothing. I'm going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 again, but this time in the NLT, in the New Living Translation. 
We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. How many of you function with great power? That great power is not from yourself, but is from God. In your area of strength, what is your attitude like towards those that are weak? Just think about that. Are you arrogant? Are you proud? Are you accepting of them? Or is your mindset, mm, I don't hang around with people like you, mere mortals. I hang around with these people. In Romans 15 verse 1, it says, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. That's a very powerful statement that Paul makes to the Romans, right? To the church at Rome. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. Are you bearing with the failings of the weak? Do you have that revelation that were it not for the grace of God, where would I be? The fifth shift that we need to make is don't major on the minors. Don't major on the minors. It's amazing the amount of division that has come to the body of Christ because people major on the minors. Not everything has to be at 100% intensity. You know, some people have got this thing where they don't know this is important, this is not so important. So you see them, they've got this pet doctrine that they're so passionate about, that's all they talk about, and they're divisive about it. If you don't believe what they believe about that pet doct doctrine, it's an issue. Bible says we come together joining in the unity of our faith, not the unity of our pet doctrines or our pet convictions around insignificant issues. You see, a lot of us struggle to accept others because we become so rigid on minor issues. The fact of the matter is that there are people who will have different convictions to you, but this does not have to cause division. Keep the main thing the main thing, ladies and gentlemen. Not everything has to be on this 100% intensity, right? Are you majoring on the minors? Are you building disciples for Jesus? Or are you building disciples according to yourself and your pet doctrine, okay? Here's some scriptures where Paul actually uh, demonstrates this principle of not majoring on the minors. And I find this fascinating. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 27 to 29, if an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? So there are times where I might be okay doing something, right? I'm just fine with it. But I don't then do it because it might cause my brother to stumble. And I love this. I love this because very often people think of right and wrong. What's the right thing to do there? What's the wrong thing to do? But here Paul is talking about what's the wise thing to do? What's the wise thing to do? In Romans chapter 14, verse 4 to 6, this is quite clear, this principle. In Romans 14, 4 to 6. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. So don't judge each other on some of these issues. Verse 5. 
One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. So is he saying this one is right, this one is wrong? No. He just says you need to be convinced according to your conscience, right? Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. So here Paul is saying you're able to see someone who's very strict about the Sabbath, for example, right? And that's a biggie for them, right? You're able to look at them and say they're doing it to glorify God. Kudos to them. That's awesome. He says whoever eats meat does so to the Lord for they give thanks to God, right? And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. So he's saying the big picture here, the main thing here is, is God getting the glory. What's the motive behind the behavior? If you are being very religious or dogmatic about something, but you're doing it in the flesh and it's coming from a place of pride, then that's not great because God is not being glorified, right? If you're being a bit more flexible about certain things, but you're doing it thanking the Lord and glorifying Him, then that's wonderful. So why do we spend hours debating a lot of things instead of focusing on glorifying Jesus? The division it causes in the body of Christ doesn't glorify the Lord. I believe that we need to be accepting of others who might have slightly different convictions to us, but they still have our faith. They still have our faith. And the sixth thing I want to explore and final thing is learn to leverage off different behavioral preferences. When it comes to accepting other people, we're also accepting that there are different personalities out there. And we need to be able to celebrate what gift that personality brings. If you look in scripture and you look at how Jesus selected the disciples, they had different personalities. They were different in terms of their behavioral preference profile. They were introverts, they were extroverts, they were those who were high on steadiness, chilled people, and they're those who were quite feisty. And Jesus saw the treasure in each of them. How good are you with people who are different personality? You see, instead of constantly being irritated by people with different personalities, rather celebrate and make use of those differences. We need each other. We need each other, right? The key question is, what is their behavioral profile? And I want to share with you this, and I've shared with many of you this before, but it's the insights profile, right? So you've got your fiery reds, sunshine yellows, earth greens, cool blues. And some of you might have been exposed to different profiles. So I'll talk about them in the context of other profiles also. So you've got your cool blue, sometimes known as your high compliance person, those of you who've done the disc profile, or your analytic those of you who've done um, social styles, okay? So what are the possible characteristics of the cool blue? They're cautious, rigid, sober, okay? In other words, they're measured, right? Pessimistic sometimes, reserved. Sometimes they can be a bit unsociable. Sometimes they can be quiet. They focus on the task and they're thinking orientated, okay? What I, talk, what I mean by thinking orientated person, you say to them, can you invite people to this training? They say, okay, pop an email to everyone from this grade upwards, okay? The feeling orientated person will say, what about Susie? She's not a manager yet. Can't we invite her? Can you see we need both? If someone comes to you uh, and, your, and your spouse and want to borrow money, the thinker might say, when are they going to pay us back, right? What is it for? How much do they want, right? 
What are they going to use it for? What, how much do they want? They ask those types of questions. The feeler will say, oh, don't worry, just give it. It'll come back in other ways. He's a nice guy anyway, right? The fiery red or high dominance person in the disc profile or the driver in social styles, they can be quite touchy, restless, can be aggressive at times, excitable, changeable, impulsive, goal-orientated, sometimes quite optimistic, active, task and thinking orientated. The sunshine yellow is a high influence person, big picture person. Sometimes in social styles, they're known as the expressives. They're quite sociable, outgoing, talkative, responsive, easygoing, carefree. They don't like too many rules and regulations. They're very flexible, right? They're people orientated and feeling orientated. Then you've got your earth greens. They are high steadiness people, amiables, okay? Often they're strong when it comes to empathy. They can sometimes be quite passive. They can be quite careful, thoughtful, peaceful, controlled, calm, even-tempered. They're people-orientated and they're feeling-orientated. But you know that each of these people, they are gifts to a team. They're gifts to a community and we need to embrace them. Why? Your fiery reds bring focus to a team or community. Your sunshine yellows bring flow to a community. Flow is adaptability and flexibility. Your earth greens bring cohesion to a community. That's that country club feel. Is everyone okay? Have we checked up on everyone? Are they doing fine? And your cool blues bring measure to a community. What do I mean by that? Sunshine yellows might say, yes guys, 2022 is the year. I can just feel it. I know it's the year. We're going to do well. The cool blues will say, okay, let's see the numbers because the numbers never lie. And sometimes we look at them and we think, this person is the party pooper. This person is so negative. This person is that person who's always saying, no, that won't work. No, that won't work. Right? But sometimes it's good because they balance us out. Now, it's so important to understand that you can have the colors on a good day, but you've also got the bad day version. Right? The fiery red who's super focused and quite driven, quite competitive. On a bad day, they have to win at all costs. They become a steamroller, bulldozer, and begin to bully the people around them. They become very aggressive. You want to avoid the carnal side of things. And sometimes that's what we see in people. That's all we see. Instead of actually saying, but you know what? This person takes charge and makes things happen. And that helps us to accept them. Your sunshine yellows, very jovial, very optimistic. But on a bad day, sometimes they lack discretion. You know, those people will say, oh yeah, you know what, uh, I just wanted to give you an update, Paul, you know, I was at that board meeting, I shouldn't be telling you this, but because me and you are close, you know, I just thought it would be best you know, so let me just give you the heads up because it might affect you, but I haven't told anyone else, so just keep it on the down low. A couple of minutes later, they're telling someone else, then they're telling someone else, but that's what they're like on a bad day, they lack discretion, all right? What about your earth green? On a good day, Extremely loyal, wonderful team players, and we love that. But on a bad day, they can become reliant. Why didn't you come to the meeting? I didn't get a meeting request. But you know you're always invited. Hey, Paul, I'm now just leaving into the powers that be. I'm just a worker here, right? Cool blues on a good day, very structured, organized, and we love that about them, right? High attention to detail. They add value in terms of a team situation and help us in the implementation of all our dreams. But on a bad day, they can become nitpicky and difficult, especially when they've got the facts to back it up. 
And so sometimes because we see people on their bad day version, we put off by that. We put them into this box and we say, they just slow me down, right? That's how fiery reds sometimes relate to earth greens, right? Oh, these people, have just, that's just a pipe dream. Paul, those stats you've quoted are from 2008. We're now in 2022. And that's the cool blue being frustrated with the sunshine yellow. But I want to encourage you, they're the gifts that these people bring. And part of accepting each other is learning how to adapt to these different colors. How do you adapt to a fiery red? Be brief, be bright, and be gone. Don't go to a fiery red and start saying, my grandmother's kitten died two weeks ago. It was actually a Siamese cat, you know. Because the person is saying, get to the point, why have you come? And they've got a wonderful, concise spirit of summary. Wonderful, right? How do you adapt to a sunshine yellow? Involve me, include me. I want to be involved. I want to be included, right? How do you adapt to um, an earth green? Show me you care. I don't care how much you know until I know how much you care. That's how God made me. That's how God wired me. The earth green would say to you, right? And when you show them that you really care, these people can be so loyal and such faithful team members. They're not high on ego. They want to support. How do you adapt to a cool blue? Give me the details. They want the details. They make decisions based on facts, figures, research. I believe that God is taking us to a place where we accept people who are not wired the same way as us. You see, most of us are a mixture of these colors, but we'll tend to have one which is more dominant than the others. And the goal is to be able to recognize and then adapt and connect with the various styles. Each style has a gift it brings to team settings, but it also has overextensions and liabilities. And so good to be aware of these colors in us aware of these styles in us and to celebrate what's different in someone else. So crucial for us to do so. I believe that if we practice these things that I've mentioned today, we will go to another level when it comes to accepting others. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we ask that you would broaden our hearts we thank you for Romans 5 verse 5 that tells us that the love of God has been shared abroad in our hearts through his spirit. Father, may you work deep in our heart that we would extend acceptance to many more people that we, than we currently have. Father, may you forgive us for where we've been impatient with people who are not like us, people who are from different backgrounds, people who have different convictions, people who are from a different age group or generation. Teach us how to embrace one another, Lord. May we truly be accepting of each other. May we truly be accepting of each other where we truly embrace and welcome the others. Father, I pray that there would be more relational dyads in our community that develop and are activated by greater levels of acceptance. Father, may you show us how we can be like Jesus who challenged people into a new lifestyle, yet at the same time accepted how they were wired. Father, may you teach us how to draw out the treasure in people. How to celebrate and appreciate the treasure in people. We ask for your grace in this activation. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Put these things into practice. Let's see what happens.